As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. If you have been around churches at Christmas long enough, or at the very least, have watched Charlie Brown Christmas a few times, you will have heard that sentence many, many times. Behold, the angel says. Behold. I have to confess that I love the word behold. It's one of those words that grabs you right away. You know that something really important is about to be said when you hear the word behold. After all, someone is not going to come up to you and say, Behold, my sandwich. It's never going to be that, right? It's never going to be something inconsequential. Then when I told my wife I was going to say that, she told me that absolutely she would say, behold my sandwich. So, thank you. The fact that this word has fallen out of common use, it makes it jump out even more when we see it in Scripture. It tells us to pay attention. It's like a, a spotlight flashing at us. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. On this evening, we gather to hear a message of immense importance. Because the angel's news was truly life-changing. That long ago in Bethlehem, a Savior was born for us. Jesus, our salvation, has come. There is nothing more important for us to know or hear than that. And so to help us understand the weight of the angel's joyful, crucial message, we're going to turn to the prophet Isaiah. For in his day, he also had a message worth starting, Behold! Behold, he says to the people, your salvation comes. In Isaiah's messianic prophecy, written hundreds of years before Christ would fulfill these words, we see what salvation is all about, how it comes about, and how the people are meant to respond to it. What is this salvation all about? Well, we're actually going to work through the text a little bit backwards tonight. We're going to jump down to verse 11, and that gripping word, behold, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. Now, it's important for us to understand that in his time, Isaiah is preaching to the wayward tribes of Israel. 
Throughout his, his book, he is laying their sin before them and calling them to repent and return to the Lord. He's reminding them that the consequence of their sin will be exile from the land, exile from the presence of God. For that is the ultimate end of sin. Eternal, permanent separation from our Father in heaven. And even as he proclaims the end result of their sin, even as he calls this nation to repent and return to their father, I know, Isaiah knows full well they aren't going to do it. The people will continue in their rebellious ways, but fortunately for them and for us, the vision the Lord has given to Isaiah does not end with the story of the exiles. Rather, his word looks ahead to a time of redemption when salvation, restored fellowship with God will happen. And it will happen because a Savior comes. Notice that when Isaiah says that salvation comes, he quickly says, Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. There is a man in view here who would bring about this salvation. His reward, in fact, would be those whom he would save. What Isaiah could never know is that the he in this passage is none other than Jesus Christ. For as the words of John's gospel tell us, Jesus is the very word of God made flesh into all that received him who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Behold, he says, your salvation comes because Jesus came. While Isaiah did not know who this Savior would be, he could prophesy about the effect of his coming. Verse 12, And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. It is Christ who accomplishes that work. From being made a child of God, all who believe in Jesus are made into a holy People, They are the redeemed of the Lord. All of our sin, all that which has kept us from the peace and life that our Father wants to give us, it is taken away. While I was preparing this sermon, the title listed here that jumped out at me this year was Sought Out. You shall be called sought out. The Lord sought out a people for himself. He came for them. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, does it? Many of us have been through a long and difficult season. And I am willing to bet that most, if not all of us, at one time or another, have felt alone, have felt confused and anxious, perhaps have even felt abandoned or forsaken by God and certainly by other people. 
Well, dear friends, I am here this evening to tell you that because Christ came, that is not true. Christ came to seek out a people for himself. If you are one of his, if you believe in him, then you will never be forsaken. Then you are not alone. You are a member of a holy people. You are a part of a people redeemed. You are restored to relationship with our Father. He has sought you out. Reflecting on this passage, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, Glory be to unconquerable grace, we were sought out. No darkness could hide us, no filthiness could conceal us. We were found and brought home. Glory be to infinite love, God the Holy Spirit has restored us. One day I hope to be able to write like that. That's beautiful, isn't it? Many of us can have seasons of questioning the goodness and kindness of our Father. One of the antidotes to that feeling is to remember what we've been talking about, to remember this part of Christmas that that Christ sought you out, that he came into this world to save the lost. He came full of grace and truth to make you his very own. Not forsaken, but redeemed. Not alone, but in the care of your loving Father. And that's what salvation's all about. Christ coming for his own to make them his own. The plan of God that was set in place before the foundation of the world that Christ Jesus would come born of a virgin at just the right time to live the perfect life and then to die the sacrificial death that we might be made children of God. That plan entering into the world, that is what we celebrate this evening, for that is what we are made through our faith and baptism. We are made his own. It is that we celebrate this evening. The Savior has come. It's where Isaiah's prophecy builds to. But how does it come about? What needs to happen to see this great redemption occur? In our passage, Isaiah is using wartime images to convey his message. War was something that his audience is, unfortunately, very familiar with. And he uses the image of an invading army that would come and take away the people's food and drink. And so you can imagine a people in a besieged city crying out to God, What must we do, Lord? How do we make this awful time cease? Perhaps some of us here have had that sort of cry on our lips over the past couple years. Isaiah shows us that in response to that cry, the Lord takes the initiative to rescue his people and to bring an end to their suffering. Verse 8 tells us, The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. What we want to grab hold of here 
are those first words. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and his mighty arm. It is an image of the Lord's power. His right hand and his mighty arm are symbols of the overwhelming power of the Lord. The sort of power that could overcome any foe and accomplish whatever it is he wills. And so what is it that the Lord wills? That his people would enjoy his blessing. That they would have food and drink. They would have all that they need. And they would have it because they would have him. Verse 9. But those who garner it shall eat and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. The point here is not the food and drink per se. But rather the giving thanks for the Lord's provision and enjoying them in the courts of his sanctuary. For the sanctuary was where he was to be found. That if you wanted to come into the presence of God, you needed to go there. These images are meant to convey the truth that being in the presence of God conveys the blessing of God simply because we are with him. That is the ultimate blessing. That is why Jesus came to make the way back to God, to to clear the road, to use the image that Isaiah himself uses. So that we might enter through the gates of the city of God to live with him forever. That is what the Lord wills for his people. And since he wills it, he will do it. All of it happens because of the Lord's action and the Lord's initiative. He has sworn by his might and his arm, not ours. It is the Lord who sends the Savior and is himself the Savior. It is the Lord who makes the way, not because we've done what it takes to get there, but simply because of his grace and love for his people. The Lord wills it, and so the Lord acts on it. And notice the language here. It's declarative. Much of it is past tense. Now how could that be? Isaiah lived a little bit before Jesus, didn't he? And yet it's all in the past tense. It's because if the Lord has said it, it's as good as done. He cannot lie. He is true to his word. So if he says it'll happen, it will happen. If he promises his people that they will enjoy the blessings of his presence forever, that's what will happen. Because of the work of the Father in sending the Son, the Lord can say that that is all possible. The way has been made. It's what verse 10 is all about. The way has been made. The gates are open. Go into his presence. Come and receive the gifts of God that are given for the people of God. Receive Christ. He has made the way. As we end our time together, we should ask ourselves, what are we we to do with this that's been laid before us? We've read that the promise of God has been made that a way would be open for us. 
through the work of Jesus Christ, that, that we are a people redeemed. What are we to do with that? Well, verse 6 says this. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Now the watchmen were set on walls to keep an eye out for invaders, for for those that would attack the city and warn the inhabitants that, that trouble is coming. And there's an element of that here, certainly. And it must be said that in our time, it is the church that is meant to be the watchman on the walls, warning a wayward people of the danger of living apart from God and calling them to return to him. But what's interesting in this section is the statement that these watchmen will never be silent. That those who remember the Lord, meaning those who follow God, should not rest in crying out to him. That the voices of the people of God should ring out so loud and so clear that the Lord himself would not be able to take rest because he hears the cries of his people. He hears their cries to establish Jerusalem, to establish peace among them. Two things I want to say about that, and then I'll stop talking for a while. The first is to those of you who are gathered here this evening who love Jesus. This is a call for you to continue in the life of Christ, constantly speaking out to our Father, constantly calling out to Him in prayer, asking Him to continue that work in you to bring about His city of peace that we might be with Him. To look out at the world, to the places where the presence of God is needed so desperately, and ask him to act. Cry out to him, and he will hear you. Ask him to act until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, until all know that someone has come for them. A second word, that is for those of you who are here this evening or perhaps listening online who do not know Jesus, who have come tonight because, well, that's what you do on Christmas Eve. A lot easier to listen in or come out and get in a fight with mom, you know what I mean? Here's what I ask of you this evening. Seek him out. That's what crying out to him is. It's seeking him. You too can cry out to the Lord. You too can ask him to show him to you. Earlier this evening, I spoke of the truth that many of us have endured difficult days and that we can look out at the world and we can see that there is something seriously wrong. Rather than despair, 
Know that the promise of redemption and wholeness is for you and for all who would receive him. Christ Jesus came into the world for you. The one whose birth we celebrate this evening, he came for you. He came to seek and to save. He came to make the way. The gates are open to you. Christ came for you. came to redeem you. He came for you. You are sought out. You are not alone. Seek him. On Christmas, we celebrate the never-changing truth that God has broken into this world, that he became one of us for us. It's hard to imagine better news than that. Behold, said the angel, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Behold, your salvation has come. Let's pray. Father, I'm not sure what else we can say other than thank you. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for his birth, for his life, for his death on our behalf, for his resurrection, his ascension. Thank you that he is reigning on high now. That he is at your right hand, interceding for us even as we gather this evening. Father, we pray that we would know that life and that peace that you have offered us through Christ. That you would open the hearts and minds of any that don't know you to come to you to receive the blessing of redemption. That you would make us into Jesus more and more this day and all our days. And that this good news would ever be on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.